If you would, open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 18. There's one verse this evening. It is from that classic section in Scripture where we read about how God has come among us. John is one of the Gospels that people read the most. And it's in this section of verses 1 through 18 that John, is he's going to keep coming back to these themes throughout his Gospel. We read here just... Well, let me do this. Let's start at verse 14 so that you have the context. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was born before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are seeking to know You. But we cannot know You on our own. You must voluntarily reveal Yourself to us. And we see here, and as we will dive into, we see that You reveal Yourself to us through Your Son. But yet we also know, Holy Spirit, that we will not have eyes to see, hearts to believe, or faith to exercise unless You give it to us. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we study who You are, as we hear You proclaim to us who You are this evening, would You do the miracle of faith, that supernatural work that only You can do. Lord Jesus, we ask all this in Your name. Amen. How big is your God? Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was the preacher years ago at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. I have to say Pennsylvania because if you're from Mississippi, then there is a Philadelphia, Mississippi. It's a great place, but it's a different Philadelphia. But Donald Gray Barnhouse went back to preach at his seminary several years after he had graduated. And one of his former professors went to hear him preach. At the close of the meeting, his old professor came up to him and said, If you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. That sounds like it was a bad sermon, right? But here's what he followed up with. I only come to hear my former students once. And I am glad to know that you are a big God preacher. When my boys, talking about my students, when they come back, I come to see if they are big God preachers or little God preachers. And then I know what their ministry will be. Martin Luther, several hundred years 
before this once told one of his theological opponents, your thoughts of God are too small. God is infinite. God is the great one. And this God, if we are going to know him, he must take the initiative to reveal himself to us. Man has always been trying to create different types of gods and religions throughout its history, but none of them compared to the one true God who has always been. And what we need now more than ever today is big God theology. With all the different troubles in the world, with all the different concerns, what we need most of all is a God who, as as C.S. Lewis would say, he is untamable. He is truly God. He's not a trinket. We need to remember we are made in his image. He is not made in ours. And this is the God that John talks about in John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. I do love what one theologian has said. Is it too much of a coincidence that the advance of atheism parallels the retreat of the church on the doctrine of the Trinity? It is very fascinating as theologians and historians have teased this out, that as the church has stopped proclaiming the triune God, that atheism has also been on the rise. And we see here the doctrine of the Trinity. It says in this first part of verse 18, no one has ever seen God. God is invisible. God is spirit. He does not have a body. He is not made up of certain material. God in his essence is spirit. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16, God is he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Jesus, when speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well, He tells her, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Our own Westminster Shorter Catechism also taking these texts, it tells us that God is spirit. He's invisible. And just because he's invisible does not mean he is not there Any more than when you think about love, love itself is invisible. We just see its effects. But we would never say that love is not real. God is invisible because he is spirit. But God is also invisible because he is transcendent. Transcendent meaning far beyond anything we can attain to. Far beyond anything we could work ourselves up for. That he is truly the God who stands outside of all things. He's not a needy God as if he is dependent upon us. And because he is transcendent, we see God tell Moses in Exodus 33 verse 20, 
You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. That's a God you cannot tame. A God who says, even if I were to show you my face in its essence, you could not handle it. So much could you not handle it. You would die. You would disintegrate. You see, because God is spirit, it means that no one can see God. No one has the ability to see God, but also no one has the permission to see God. It's not only just because we do not have that ability, but he has not given us that permission because he is the transcendent one. And what does that mean? It means this, that this God, if we are going to know him, he must take the initiative to make himself known. This is what Reformed theology has always been proclaiming. This is what the Bible has always been proclaiming. That God, whether in creation, providence, or salvation, God always takes the initiative. We are the recipients. Amen? Maybe if you're visiting with us tonight, uh, we'll let you know. I am a feedback preacher. I want to make sure you're awake. And also the word amen means to believe. God must reveal himself to us if we're going to know him. I love what John of Damascus, uh, one of the uh, uh, early uh, theologians of the church, John of Damascus said that not even angels could see God unless God revealed himself to the angels. Think about that. Even the angels around the throne in Isaiah 6 who day and night cry out, Holy, holy, holy. They would not know that unless God revealed himself to be that. And God has revealed himself in part by creating man. On the sixth day of creation, at its its height, he created man, male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. God has created us to be in his image and to image him. But that does not mean that we can just look at each other and say, now I know all of who God is. There are two reasons for that. One, because we are still finite and he is infinite. Even if there was not sin, we are still finite. We are merely human. But also, we cannot look at each other and know God because we are sinners. We have marred the image of God. And so when we see each other, we see sin. And we must always remember this because whenever we see each other's sin, we cannot say that must be what God is like. This is one of the reasons why when people say, well, I don't go to church or Uh, I'm not a Christian because Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. But that would be to imply that God is the, the exact representation of us rather than us being made in his image, but yet we by our sin have marred it. But it is true that God has made us in his image. This is what John Calvin says, that if you're really going to know yourself, you must know God. What we see here in this text, it's not merely 
knowing a God, but as Calvin would certainly go forth in his work, you must know Christ. Amen? You cannot know who this one true God is unless you know Christ. Whether it's other religions, they'll never show you who this God is. There is no atheist who can say that they know who God is because unless you personally, intimately know Christ, you cannot know who God is. Even what we see in creation and with God's providence, though there are a lot of true things that we can know about God in that, that does not show us the fullness of who this God is. If you're going to know God, you must know Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. And this is why we must, as Christians, we must grow to be more and more centered and orbiting around Christ. The way we read the Bible, whether we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it is all either leading to Christ or reflecting on Christ. Christ himself says this in Luke 24, that all scripture is about me. It's all leading to him. And it's all reflecting on him. It's why we must grow in the habit of as we read our Bibles that we learn to see Christ everywhere. That we sit under preaching that is Christ-centered preaching. And as we teach each other God's word, that we teach it in a Christ-centered way. Because you cannot know God unless you know Christ. Amen? But it also means that if we're going to know this God, we must learn to daily commune with Christ. This is not, I know God because I know certain facts about Christ. There must be a personal relationship with this God. And you can't have that without Christ. You must be born again. And you must be united with this Christ. And the more you spend time with him, the more you hear him speak to you and you speak back to him and you live in the community of fellow believers, you are getting to know Christ more and more. That's how you know your God. But we also see that this God, not only is he invisible, but he is triune. You see this in the next phrase there. The only God who is at the Father's Side, he has made him known. Now follow this logic. John is saying, no one has seen God. And then in a new part of a new statement, it says this. The only God, so someone distinct. But then it says this, who is at the Father's side. Notice the distinction here. Matter of fact, uh, some... Uh, uh, old copies of the text actually here says the only begotten son. Notice what you see here that there is one God, but there are different persons. Or really the word would be distinct persons. God is one God in three persons. He is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We do not believe in three different gods. 
And we do not believe in one God who just puts on three different masks depending on uh, what era of salvation it is. He is one God. There is one divine essence. And there are three persons of the Trinity. These persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're not three different gods. Everything that makes God, God is the Father. And everything that makes God, God is the Son. And everything that makes God, God is the Holy Spirit. And it's not as if it's like pizza slices where you have a full pizza and you cut it up into three big slices. And when you just combine them all together, then that's God. That's not it. There is one God in three persons. That is big God theology. Amen. This is something where we know a lot of and the history of the church has been proclaiming for thousands of years. But yet we are still finite beings who take what God's word says, but we have to still sit back and say, that's above my pay grade. And that is part of what makes God worshipful. Amen. That's what makes him who he is. Now, we must remember this. There was never a time when the Son of God came into existence. Because if there was ever a time when He came into existence, then that would mean there was a time when He did not exist. And the moment He does not exist is the moment He is not God. God the Father has never been without His Word And this God has never changed for better or for worse. The Son has always been eternally begotten of the Father. This is hugely important. Because at any moment when Jesus is less than God, He cannot reconcile us to God. At any moment... When he is lacking in anything of what makes God, God, that is the moment we cannot be saved. He must be God. As brightness is always there because of light, and as light always gives off brightness, so God the Father is always begetting his Son, and the Son is always begotten by the Father. Jesus teaches about the Trinity. You see it in his baptism. Jesus is being baptized and there's the voice of the Father and then there's the Spirit who is symbolized as descending upon him as if it's like a dove. Jesus would teach about the Father and the Spirit in other places, especially in the upper room discourse of John 13 through 17. He would talk about how there is one God in three persons. Jesus did everything... With the full understanding that he was the second person of the Trinity. Think about that. What was that like as a teenage boy growing up in a place full of sinners and he knew that he is God incarnate? Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus taught, he did so as the God man. Here's why this is so important. You might be asking the question, is this just nerding out theologically? Is this just what Presbyterians do? 
No, I'll tell you why this is so much more than just an intellectual thing. As a matter of fact, it must always be more than an intellectual thing because there are many people who actually are not saved and know a lot about theology, including Satan himself. If Jesus is God, then the righteousness that he is earning that we even saw this morning if Jesus is God, that means he is infinite, and therefore he is infinite in worth. So the righteousness that he is earning for you and me is one of infinite worth. Amen? Here's how that can help many of us tonight. It helps all of us, but some of us is more pertinent. Do you ever feel like that there's maybe something lingering in your life that Jesus can't really cover? But the fact that he is God shows you that he is an infinite righteousness and it is far beyond any potential sin that could be in your life. Amen? The doctrine of the Trinity has everything to do with the practicalities of life. The doctrine of the Trinity has been taught in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, the Athanasian Creed. It's been taught in the Confessions, the Augsburg Confession, the Belgic Confession, the 39 Articles, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster Confession, and even the London Baptist Confession. In other words, what I'm trying to say here is that to be a Christian is to believe in the triune God. That is the God that you have come to be in relationship with. Think about this. As the Father sent the Son to take on our flesh that He might purchase our salvation. And when the Son ascended into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit to cause us to be born again, to bring us back to God. Notice this. As the Father sent the Son and the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit, so we come back to God by the, by the Holy Spirit through the Son. To be saved means to have the entirety of the infinite God to be ours and for us to be his. Amen? This is stunning. Because if we are believers and we have Christ, we have everything. We have absolutely everything because we have him. And this is the God who Christ came to reveal and it says there in that next phrase, he has made him known. Notice this. We did not create this God. He, he's not a projection of our imagination. God has made himself known and it's all by his grace. And brothers and sisters, that is why this Christmas season and even going forward, we must be people who are rooted in God's word. Amen. We must be people who are learning to read God's word and study God's word. Because that is how we see this triune God and who he is revealing himself to be. You see, because of Jesus Christ, the invisible God becomes visible. The unapproachable God becomes approachable. The infinitely holy God becomes forgiving. The God who utterly hates sin becomes gracious. And the God who cannot change is the one who takes on flesh so that he grows up and lives through all the stages of sinless humanity. 
Isn't that amazing? Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Jesus Christ, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ in His person and His work reveals to us the God who we could have never known on our own. And if we do not know Him, we will not be saved. I'll say that again. If we do not know Him, we cannot be saved. So how are we saved? By knowing Him through Jesus Christ. This is why in the Old Testament, people were certainly, they knew very true things about God, but they didn't see quite the picture of God that we now see because of Jesus Christ. Now don't hear me wrongly. Everyone in the Old Testament was saved in the same way by the same God. But the clarity of that salvation sparkled far more than 10,000 diamonds could as Jesus Christ came to earth. And that is how we know our God. That is how we know the one who loves our soul. That is how we know the one who can take wretches and make them children. And I love this because... As one person says, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. Do you hear that? There is no God in heaven that is somehow not like Jesus. And for some of you, that is really important to continue to understand. Because sometimes you can see Jesus and say, now he is gracious, but the God of the Old Testament, he seems harsh. But if Jesus is God... He is revealing who that God has always been and who He will always be. Amen? What we see ultimately about how this Son reveals God is at the cross. Because it was at the cross where grace and wrath somehow kiss. Because as God's wrath was poured out on His Son, He is able to give grace to us. It is as God takes on flesh and as He grew up and as He would eventually go to the cross and He would cry out, He would not say, Father. He would say, My God, My God, feeling the distance. He would be separated from God because that's what we deserved. And as He is on the cross as true humanity, He is also God. And He is purchasing a salvation that is infinite in worth so that anyone at any time could simply for free come to Jesus Christ and be totally saved without any of their works. Amen? What a God. And it's that God of infinite love that Jesus Christ reveals. The philosopher Michael Foucault hated the idea of God being Father. And he rejected the Trinity because of his own earthly relationship with his Father. The bulk of Michael Foucault's life work was about how evil authority is. And he wrote this way because of how his own sinful father had treated him. Michael Foucault's father was a surgeon. And he used to force young Michael to watch amputations so that he could toughen him up. 
And for the young Michael Foucault, this was a nightmare of a demanding sovereign patriarch. As one author says, for Michael Foucault, paternal power was not used to care, nurture, or bless. But my friends, our sinful fathers and us as sinful fathers or sinful parents, we do not show forth who God really is. But Jesus Christ does. There might be glimpses that we see here and there, but nothing compares to Jesus Christ. And that is the one who covers us in our own sinful failures for our children. But that is also enough for us as children of of parents when we can look at them and say Christ is enough for you. It does go both ways. And this is the thing that we need to remember about who this God is. He is everything that we see Jesus Christ to be. And He is the infinite one. And He is always truly and infinitely fatherly. But you have to get Jesus to get Him. There is no other way. And that's the application for you and I tonight. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we look to You and what a God You are. The God who sent Your Son so that we wretches might be saved and delivered. Lord, we thank You that You've given us a table to come to. A table where there is fellowship and there's no longer enmity. And what a testimony this is, especially during the Christmas season, of your love for us. That you would send your only begotten Son to die the death we deserve and to rise into the heavens so that he might justify us. So Lord, lead us now to the table. We ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.